In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Matt Stauffer returns to the show to chat with me about post-CSS. We talk about what post-CSS is and how it compares to preprocessors like SAS and LESS. We also talk about how to use post-CSS to add brand new features to CSS and the tricks to pulling it off since post-CSS can only operate on syntactically valid CSS. Finally, we talk about what it's been like to port Tailwind, the CSS framework I've been working on, from less to post-CSS, some of the motivations for doing it, and some of the awesome benefits I've enjoyed as a result. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 71. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast, episode 71 today. And today I am back with uh, the very first guest I ever had on this podcast ever, almost three years ago, uh, returning for the first time, Mr. Matt Stauffer. How's it going, dude? Good, man. Three years. That's kind of blowing my mind. I didn't realize it had been that long. I think three years in October, something like that. So Wow. Lots has changed. Yeah, and I think we're also going to crack 1 million total listens before that three-year anniversary comes up. Nice, so nice. that's going to be And they're all exciting. because of episode one, of course. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the seed. I mean, yeah, that's right. what got everything started <laughs> on the right foot. So <laughs> for anybody who's listened to, to us since episode one, uh, or not since, but episode one in this one, it's going to be a pretty interesting contrast. So, yeah, and it is kind of interesting because there's a little bit of continuity there. That's like, yeah. uh, the stuff that we've been talking about lately is kind of like a, a continuation of our very first uh, discussion on, you know, trying to figure out what is the role of utility classes in CSS That's kind of what yep. we talked about before. And, um, yeah, so what I was hoping to chat about today was basically post CSS and what that's all about because I've been uh, diving into it a little bit more lately. Well, more as in really for the first time and I'm starting to really understand sort of the power of it and how it can be useful. And um, I feel like there's not a ton of really good like post CSS um, from scratch information out there that kind of answers initial reservations and questions about it. Uh, so now that I've sort of like made that jump over the last couple of weeks, I thought it would be good to kind of document some of that stuff while it's still fresh for me before I get to the point where I forget what it's like, you know, to not understand. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. So what do you know about post CSS? I was just going to say, I've, I've got a great place to start. I, when you told me we're going to do this, I said, well, I've been meaning to check out post CSS for ages, so I'm going to intentionally not look at anything about it. So I, I know that it is build tooly. I know mm-hmm. that it is, it's not quite a preprocessor, um, or it's not a preprocessor in the less SaaS sense. I don't know how it compares to them. Um, and so at this point, it seems like it's like the same way that Webpack showed up when I was used to, you know, I feel like Grunt versus Gulp was like a small change and then Webpack totally blew it out of the water. I kind of get the sense that less versus SaaS, like uh, that PostCSS has that same kind of shift coming for us. But literally at that point, that's all I know. So teach me. what What is PostCSS? Is it a preprocessor? So... They don't describe it as a preprocessor, but once you sort of learn some of the tricks, you can basically use it as a preprocessor, although the mental model is still a little bit different. So um, as far as I understand it, sort of the history of PostCSS, um, hopefully I'm getting this right, but I believe it came out of Auto Prefixer. Um, so Auto Prefixer is a tool that 
you know, everyone uses for adding vendor prefixes to their CSS properties. So if you're using Flexbox or, I mean, border radius, even back in the day, you would add your dash WebKit prefixes to everything and stuff automatically. So you didn't have to think about uh, all that stuff and it would just get done for you. Um, the reason that auto prefixer, I think is an interesting example is because it sets you up to sort of understand like how post CSS is meant to work, which is it takes like valid CSS that's finished in a rendered CSS file. And it goes through that after the fact and modifies it in hmm. different ways, right? So the way that it actually works and the API that it sort of gives to you is it takes a CSS file, it loads it up into post CSS, parses the whole thing into an abstract syntax tree, which sounds nerdy and a lot more <laughs> intimidating and complicated than it really is. But what it's really doing is, say you have a CSS document, right? And say this CSS document has three rules in it. Maybe it has like a dot button blue class, a dot text center class, and uh, you know some padding class or something. Right. What you end up with after you run that through post CSS is it gives you a, a JavaScript object, uh, which represents like a node, right? And it's, it's a tree. So it's a top level node, which represents your whole CSS file. And that has a nodes property, which is going to be those three rules now. Okay. Um, and you can loop over those rules and inspect them, see what the selector is. And then you can loop over the properties in each rule and see what the properties are, see what their values are. And you can mutate those, right? So if I wanted to say, I could loop over all the uh, rules in a CSS file, and every time I saw that color property defined on anything, I could say, just stomp whatever's there and replace it with red. Hmm. And that would update the abstract syntax tree. So you're working with it just as an object in JavaScript. And then you can convert that object back to a string and render it out to a CSS file. Huh. Um, so you take like syntactically valid finished CSS and you can, um, the way auto prefixer works is it looks for properties that need to be prefixed. And then it inserts a new property into each selector that's using those with you know, the vendor prefixes. So maybe it'll add two or three new properties for each one, right, depending right. on what it needs. Um, so that's kind of like the high level, what it does and uh, how it works sort of thing. And it's set up as like a sort of a middleware-ish plugin yeah. approach. So you can just register plugins with it and they like run in sequence. So when one plugin is done, it spits out the new abstract, abstract syntax tree, which gets fed into the next plugin. Yep. So they can sort of build on each other that way. So the post and post CSS really means it's a post processor, right? Because a preprocessor says pass invalid CSS, which is, you know, SAS or SCSS or less, and then it's going to spit out valid CSS. But this one's saying it's got to be completely valid before he even touches it, and then it does stuff to the already valid CSS. Yeah, exactly. So like okay. SAS, less, and stylus are sort of like their own language for writing style sheets that gets compiled mm -hmm. into CSS, whereas post CSS is trying to take CSS, um, you know, convert it into into an object so that you can manipulate it with JavaScript and then render that back to CSS after it's done. So I imagine, so I wanted, uh, back in the early days of SAS, we had this tool called Compass, which is what we used. First of all, it was a really great CLI, but another thing that it did was it handled um, providing mixins for all of the um, those vendor prefixes. And Compass kind of died when we discovered that auto-prefixer is a much better way to deal with mm -hmm. it. It's much simpler to just write the CSS property and let auto-prefixer handle it than it is to have to remember which mixin. And also as they would change it in the mixin's um, uh, property lists, their uh, whatever, it would change. And so it'd be a ton of work to deal with it. And, and so I'm wondering is, you know, and I know you're going to go here, but like just to kind of stream of thought, it seems like there's going to be certain tasks that were maybe really difficult with the preprocessor that are now a lot easier 
with a post-processor because it can kind of look at it differently? Is that kind of the goal with it? Yeah, I think so. Like the, um, the way that Compass tries to solve that problem, like they're solving the same problem in terms of like the prefix and stuff, tries to solve it in a little bit of a different way, right? It's It expects you to know that, hey, this property that you're about to use needs to have vendor prefixes. So here's a mix-in right. that we've given to you. Use this mix-in instead of writing the property. Right. Uh, whereas post-CSS and auto-prefixers approach is just write it. And right. we will look at what you've done after the fact. We'll find the rules that we think need to be, you know, prefixed and we'll add those prefixes for you, which, yeah, ends up being like a way um, less burdensome way to handle that from like uh, the author of the style sheets a, um, yeah. point of view. Right. So I, I definitely can see how that could like have incredible value for maybe like you using one CSS file as a template that should be, you know, spit out four times with some variant. But my first question, and I don't, I don't know if this is the direction you want to go, but my first question is, how do you handle things like, um, I guess it handles loops okay, but like variables, like simple stuff yeah. like that. So um, loops is actually a, a complicated one. Oh, but, okay. but the the interesting thing is like, I think there's certain tasks that auto or that PostCSS is better at than a preprocessor, but there's nothing stopping you from still using a preprocessor, right? So you can oh, still right. write everything in SAS. That's going to mm-hmm. spit out CSS and then apply PostCSS plugins to that at the end of the day. So um, one of the other things that PostCSS is really good at is there's a plugin called CSS Next, which is meant mm-hmm. to be sort of like Babel for CSS, right? right. So you can use future-facing CSS features, right. um, and it will compile those down to... Uh, you know, backwards compatible-ish versions of them. It's never going to work totally the same. So for example, we have like the calc function in CSS, right? Which I think is supported in basically every browser anyone cares about these days. Uh, But CSS Next can take your calc definitions and actually calculate those and put the fixed uh, value in. Right. Same with like variables. So we actually have pretty good CSS4, CSS3. I don't know which one has variables, but <laughs> right. uh, the variable support in browsers is actually pretty good now where you do like in your root selector or whatever, you can say dash dash blue is yep. some hex code. And then you can say var bracket dash dash blue when you want to actually spit that out. Um, yep. CSS next can look for places where you used var when it's running through this AST of your CSS um, find that reference and then just basically do a hard replace on it so it spits sure. out CSS where that's processed. That's not quite as good as how it works in the browser because you can't redefine that variable by in- re-including a new style sheet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but for most people's purposes, you know, using those sorts of variables the same way they would in Lesser SAS, it ends up accomplishing like the same mm. thing. Uh, but for things like loops and stuff like that, that's definitely harder um yeah so i mean the biggest reservation for me when i was getting started with post css and the thing that kind of made me not look at it in depth for a long time was knowing that it's designed to work with valid css it made me wonder like well what interesting things can i really do like i don't really want to write valid css like if if i only cared about writing valid css then i could just write valid css but there's all these features that i want to have like right like looping or being able to nest media queries or nesting selectors or you know any of that sort of fancy stuff that um is not valid css so how is post css going to be able to parse that and let me do anything with it right Mm -hmm. and the answer is that it can't like if you wanted to write like a um a less style 
parameterized mix-in with guard clauses or like a, a SAS for loop or something, mm-hmm. you couldn't use that sort of syntax because it's it's not going to really work because it can't parse it. It has no okay. idea what it is. But there's um, the trick is uh, basically registering, well, you're not really registering, but writing your own custom, what they call at rules. Okay. So you know in CSS you can do like at import and then pass like right. a string, right? And you'll import or that file, or you can do at, at media, media screen, yeah, yeah, or uh, at uh, char set. There's a couple mm-hmm. of these different things that you can use, right? All those are syntactically valid CSS, mm-hmm. uh, so post CSS can parse those. What post CSS can also do is parse at rules that are not like from some whitelisted list hmm. of strings. Huh. So the reason that I got into post CSS is because I was trying to find, I wanted to write this CSS framework that I'm working on tailwind. There's some problems that I was running into using it just in a pure preprocessor way uh, that I was interested in finding out if like post CSS could solve. And this was, and trying to figure out how to get around this, like not being able to write custom syntax thing was like a big problem. Mm -hmm. But what I can do is, um, so here's like a, a good example of something that I do with uh, Tailwind. And you've seen this because you're using like a mega early version on like your blog right now. Yeah. Uh, but have you seen this stuff in Tailwind where you can use that responsive mix-in where you can say like dot yep. responsive, you pass in a rule set, and you can generate responsive versions of those, right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of ugly in the less version because you have to do like ampersand, name of the class, and then a rule set that mixes in the old version. And you just sort of have to like know like this is how you have to write it for it to work. Right. Um, what I can do with post CSS is I can create a custom at rule. Um, and by create a custom at rule, it's, I'm not really creating anything. All I'm doing is looping over all the at rules and looking for ones that match strings right. that I'm looking for. Right. So instead of doing something like at media and then passing a block of selectors to it, I can do at responsive, which right, is right. not a valid CSS thing, but it'll right. parse because all it is is like a, an at rule with a different huh. string instead of one from the whitelisted sort of valid W3C, you know, at rules. So in that block, I can just define my classes the way I normally would. So I can say at responsive, then in that sort of block, like you would with a media query, I can say dot text center, and then I can have a property that says text align center. Right. Then what I can do with post CSS is I have a plugin that's part of, um, you know, what I'm doing with this trying to like port Tailwind to be a post CSS plugin instead of like a less framework. I can um, register a plugin that looks for any at rules where the name of the at rule is responsive. Then I can get all the children of that and I can um, get their selectors and all their properties and I can clone all of them, add my screen or breakpoint prefix to all of them and generate them all into media queries and append that to the end of the file. So the actual syntax is way, way cleaner looking than what it was in less. So that's like when I realized this trick of basically hijacking at rules to basically do whatever you want, that's when things started to get really interesting. So it's the same with, um, so the way that this new version of tailwind sort of works is you write your own CSS file, either in less or SAS or stylus or CSS, whatever you want. Right. Uh, and then anywhere in that file where you want us to spit out all of Tailwind's like utility classes, you just say at Tailwind-utilities, which is like an at rule, right? Just okay. like a char set at rule mm. or something or an import, right? Something that doesn't have a block, something that's just like a single line. And 
it took me a while to even realize that that could exist until I remembered, oh yeah, imports. That's just like a right. single rule with an at sign in front of it. Why can't I make my own single lined thing with an at sign in front of it? So at Tailwind Utilities, PostCSS is going to look through your file, find that, and then it's going to uh, rip that out and spit out all of Tailwind's utilities into your style sheet in the same place where you had that. So you can still do all your resets and components first, then spit out the Tailwind utilities, then spit out any custom utilities. And even in your custom utilities, you can wrap them with that at responsive block, which is like a, mm-hmm. a Tailwind thing that we provide. And we'll sort of collect all those rules and add those to Tailwind's responsive utilities that all get spit out at the very end of your style sheet. And so we also get to share the same media query definition um, for every one of these utilities. So uh, something that you've probably seen before in SAS and even in LAS and stuff like that is um, when you're really trying to organize your uh, styles, a lot of time you have this trade-off of like uh, duplicating media queries because you have things in different files, right? Like say you want to have a responsive version of some utility and you have your text utilities in one file and your background colors in another, then you're going to have the same media query duplicated for each type of utility usually. Right. But with post CSS, because everything's just in JavaScript and I have the whole thing in code, I just look for all of them. I collect them all into one big array and then spit oh. out all the utilities in a shared set of media queries. Um, so it keeps your files a little bit smaller and uh, more organized and stuff too. So it's been uh, pretty interesting. I don't know. Uh, do you have any questions? Or I have a million about, questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how to organize them. The The first question at the top of my head, I remember that, you know, like we've talked about SAS versus less often. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the big benefits that less offers is the ability to define the variables after the thing that's consuming them. Yeah. And they kind of get, get backported in. And I know that that's something, at least based on the tailwind that I'm using, where, you, you know, it's really built in a way where you expect to be defining your screens, you just define your... Um, your the colors, you know, I change color, I don't know, color dark 900 or whatever. I change all these different things. Is that still something that's going to be viable where you can define that kind of stuff that is pulled into the utility definition? Yeah. So actually, that was one of the big motivations um, for switching to post CSS. So the history there is one of the things we with Tailwind is one of my goals is to make it a CSS sort of framework that you can use to basically build almost any UI. You know what I mean? I don't want it to be super right. opinionated to the point where everyone's sites look the same without um, trying to do a lot of hacky customization. Uh, like with Bootstrap, it always felt kind of like you were trying to hack Bootstrap to make it look the right way instead of just yep. like... Using it the way it's intended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the problems that I had was... I wanted to provide like a smallish set of certain types of utilities to start, but make it easy to add more. So an example would be like padding and margin helpers. Um, yeah. It sucks to provide like 20 different sizes to every single person. If your site only needs four or five or maybe eight. Um, so what I really wanted to be able to do is provide like a base set of maybe like six sizes and some scale but make it really easy for you to just like append your own to that if you needed some bigger ones for example right but a problem i was having with less is that it doesn't really have good tooling for concatenating lists so so the consequences of that and the only thing that really matters there is if someone wanted to add an extra margin helper Mm -hmm. they'd have to redefine the whole margin variable like copy and paste it from the source keep all the original ones there and then append to the end which is not the end of the world, but it felt sort of like prone to 
error, you know, like well, I, I did it three or four times in my site where I, I, I had to copy if I wanted to modify the list just a little bit, I had to copy the whole list. And every time I did, I felt this kind of tickle in the back of my brain where it's like, you know, working an object oriented back in programming, you want to you want to extend the thing and just modify the one you're working on. Yeah. And if you say basically every time you want to extend a class, you know, in your back end language, you have to rewrite that cl- copy the source code of that class and then ch- make one change, you feel like you're more likely to have some update break down the road. So I, t- mm. I totally hear you on the value of that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. You just so, feel like so you're, you're taking ownership one. of something that you don't really want to exactly, own. Exactly, that I don't want to own, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, the solution to that, well, that motivated me to start like reconsidering um, SAS and Stylus. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, there's no way I could do SAS because I've just like, I've shit on it too much in public <laughs> that it would just be a complete embarrassment if Ego I said, okay, broke, we're switching yeah. to SAS. And I really didn't want to because, again, it doesn't support that really key feature I like in less, which is being able to use classes and mix those into my components yep. mm-hmm. um, so that I have like a predefined set of building blocks. I can build components out of those building blocks without having to copy the styles around. In SAS, I'd have to make a mix-in for every single utility, define the mixin at the beginning of the style sheet, use that mixin in a component, then define a utility that also uses the mixin. And you can't generate mixins in SAS either. So things, you know, it just gets a little bit tricky there. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about using PostCSS for this instead of like a preprocessor is you don't have like a standard variables file or anything anymore like you would with a preprocessor. Like last you'd be saying at color dark equals whatever, SAS, dollar right. sign, whatever. Um, because this whole thing is JavaScript now, you have a JSON config file. Hmm. Um, and that JSON config file gets loaded into the PostCSS plugin, and that's what we use to generate uh, the utilities. So it's kind of nice in, um, in some ways because things feel really organized like uh with most preprocessors all your variables are sort of like a flat list you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you start using prefixes for things and stuff like that to kind of keep yeah. things organized here You're you have like string, a big string namespacing basically yeah exactly so here okay. you have like a big json object so you can have like a backgrounds key or a, a better example actually is like our text key we have a text key and in that we have a sizes key where you list your sizes right. we have colors oh, where you list your colors we have weights where you list your weights Um, So it's a big file, but it's like organized and nice to work with. Uh, The other nice thing is that because, again, it's just JavaScript, if we want someone to be able to take like the the default config and append to it, Mm -hmm. you can just define a new config that only contains the new stuff. And we can like recursively merge that with the default one before we generate the utilities. So we maybe have four padding sizes by default. You can add Mm -hmm. four more without having to override the existing ones. And those will just get merged in to the default config. Could they choose um, to override instead? They can. So okay. the way that it, it basically it works is you need like some sort of build process, right? right? We're actually working on a CLI tool, so you don't need a build process. Um, but if you are using like Laravel Mix is a perfect mm-hmm. example, right? Laravel Mix already has like a post-CSS built into it. So right. if you do like mix.sass, then do your SAS stuff. You can do dot options. And then in there, there's a post-CSS key where you can list post-CSS plugins that you want to run. Got it. And that'll just work okay. with any preprocessor out of the box. So um, what you would do is you would like require Tailwind, uh, which is just a JavaScript library, just like you require mix at the top of your file. Right. That'll give you a function. And then in that post list of post-CSS plugins, you call that function passing in your config. So you would just mm-hmm. like require your JSON file or even specify right. a path. We'll have to maybe figure out exactly the way we want to do it. Uh, but we're going to have two options there. So you could say like tailwind dot replace and pass in 
um, the config or tailwind.merge and pass in the mm-hmm. config, which will merge it uh, with the default. Um, so that's how that is working now. It's working out to be pretty cool. Now, the other, cool. the other thing that you touched on is that, that class mix-in thing, right? Yeah. So that's like one of the really key workflow uh, sort of things that I'm trying to like encourage with this framework, like this whole yeah. idea of like calling it a utility first framework, sort of you have to have a story for like being able to build components out of utilities if um, you know, that's the way that it's going to work. So the way that we're doing that with post CSS is again, using custom at rules, right? So you might have okay. a class like dot button blue and say we want to give it a background color of blue, and we already have a utility called like BG Blue, and I want to use that utility to give that button that blue background instead of having to just copy and paste the values. So with less, all I had to do was type dot BG Blue, and it would just get mixed right. in. Uh, with SAS, you'd have to do something like add include um, BG Blue bracket bracket, and I would assume that you had a mix in defined for it. Uh, with Post CSS, with a custom at rule. Uh, we've created one called at apply, but we might change the name of it because there's there's a forward-facing CSS next feature that I think has actually got turned down. So they're going to be removing it from CSS next. But it was basically this idea of property sets. So you could define a variable in plain CSS that had a list of several properties mm-hmm. and you could mix that in. It was kind of their answer to sort of mix-ins, right? So we were going to yeah. like piggyback off, off of that naming, but you would do at apply space and then dot bg blue. Okay. And post CSS will parse this totally fine because again, it just sees an at rule. It doesn't care what the at rule does. It gives me the at rule. I put this plugin at the end of Tailwind's plugin chain. So what it does now is it looks for any at rules in any of your um, selectors uh, that are named apply and have a class in them. And then all right. I do is I loop over your entire CSS again, find those classes and extract those rule sets and paste them in very cool um so the cool thing the really really cool thing that i love about being able to do that with post css is now someone can write all their styles in sas and still have this less feature that sas doesn't support because i've re-implemented it in javascript now so it's really just a tailwind feature instead of like a a pre-processor feature i feel like that could be a package entirely on on its own is, is bring class mixins to SAS or whatever else, or just any CSS, I guess. Absolutely anything. So that's really cool and, uh, and really exciting uh, because it works even better than Less's did. Because with Less, um, it worked if you were careful. Uh, There's certain situations that I could never really understand these rules, but you could run into situations where if a class was generated then sometimes you couldn't use a generated class as a mix-in because of course there's like, there has to be some threshold where less doesn't know that this class exists yet when you try to mix it in. Right. And it was really hard to figure out what those rules were. And I still don't know. I just know that I would have to constantly try it and tweak things. Sometimes it involved like wrapping something in quotes. For example, if I had like a, a generated utility that ended in zero, I couldn't mix it in unless I wrapped it in quotes. And oh. I don't know why. Um, right. And it got me down this rabbit hole of trying to like look through and figure out what was going on. And if you go into like the issues and stuff, basically what I was trying to do is almost like works by coincidence, never intended to be supported. 
could mm. just stop working at any time. Sure. Um, so the way it works in post CSS is I have total control over it. Like right. I don't ever have to worry about like some preprocessor not supporting that feature anymore. It's my feature. I wrote it. And because I'm sticking out at the end of the plugin chain, there's no chance that that class doesn't exist because right. um, all the classes have been CSS generated every, by that yeah, point. Yeah. And it's really fast, surprisingly, to loop over this entire um style sheet and find those Mm -hmm. matching things i can even do intelligent things like um i can i can merge all the rule sets of that class so say you have that class sort of defined in multiple places you know when you use like extend in sass you end up with this a lot just thinking about that yeah you might have like a button that extends three other things so now the definition of button is actually scattered between five rule sets with a couple properties in each one i can merge all of those out and you know if i ever find a bug i can fix it because it's just my javascript code it's not you know some crazy preprocessor where i don't even understand how it works just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that lets you ship your apps with confidence. CodeShip comes in two flavors. Uh, the first one is CodeShip Basic, which is a simple testing and deployment platform with pre-installed CI dependencies uh, that works right out of the box. The average setup time for a CodeShip Basic project is about three minutes, often less. Uh, the other flavor is CodeShip Pro. So CodeShip Pro is a fully customized continuous integration and delivery platform with native Docker support. It makes it easy to test and deploy your microservices and push to any registry. It's also perfect if you want to deploy with Kubernetes and comes with a convenient local CLI tool that allows you to run your builds locally, helps with encrypting your environment variables, and guarantees 100% parity between your development and production environments. Both CodeShip Basic and CodeShip Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month, unlimited projects and unlimited users and open source projects are always free on CodeShip. So you can visit CodeShip.com today or check out CodeShip.com slash features to find out which CodeShip product is the best fit for you. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Back to the show. I think the middleware um, comparison is really helpful for me because in some ways this sounds more complicated because you're talking about string parsing and JavaScript and CSS and sometimes I go, well, you know, maybe you know, understanding the order of operations in less is crazy, but at least it's something we've been dealing with for a while. But when you when you call it middleware, when you call it basically a plug and operating, and and especially when you keep saying CS this it has to be valid CSS, what I hear is you got a whole bunch of really kind of clear boundaries, right? Like you start with valid CSS, you pass it to a plugin and it outputs valid CSS, and then it passes it to another plugin, which outputs valid CSS. And so you have these nice clear boundaries at every single point along the way where you're not waiting for that one to finish running when this one starts running because it can't. It has to be valid. And so maybe it puts some constraints. You have to start learning about at rules. But it's much those constraints help it be more constrained. Like I'm not these two plugins are not running at the same time. So you've got to figure out a way for them to be completely independent of each other. But then once that happens, now debugging and understanding these issues is so much simpler. So yeah. I'm I'm starting to see the value of that a lot for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. Um and the way I have it set up, things they sort of expect other plugins to exist in the sense that um, the plugin that spits out all of the Tailwind utilities, it doesn't spit out all the responsive ones. It just mm-hmm. spits them out into a responsive at rule, right? Right. Um, and then the next plugin in the chain is the one that finds responsive at rules and extracts the rules and generates the responsive versions and appends them to the end of the style sheet. 
Um, I was just going to ask because it kind of feels like the responsive ones are kind of like holding it in memory, but the memory is putting it in a string, but wrapped in an at rule. Yeah. That's kind of how, it, that's the, the temporary state of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, hmm. It's been a really exciting thing to learn about and start to realize like what you can do because it sounds really, really intimidating that you are manipulating an abstract syntax tree of your CSS. Like that's how mm-hmm. it's always pitched. And it sounds yeah. very, very scary in some ways, but really yeah. all it is is you have a big array and that array contains all your CSS rules and you can mm-hmm. loop over them. You can look at what they're named. You can look at what properties they have. You can delete some of those properties. You can update some of those properties. You can append new nodes, right? So you can append CSS rules yeah. anywhere in the style sheet. You can rename your selectors. Um, something that I do is I have like a, another custom at rule called hoverable. So I can take at hoverable that has a block just like a media query. I define some things in there. And what that tells Tailwind is like, oh, I also want to generate versions of these utilities um, that only work on hover. And I add like a specific prefix to all of those. So what Mm -hmm. that does is it finds like a definition, like say BG blue, that has one selector, right? It's dot BG blue, then the rules. Uh, What I can do is I can append two other selectors to that selector. So I can make dot BG blue comma, dot at sign bg blue colon hover comma dot at sign bg blue colon focus and um now i'm sharing that same rule set for all three of those definitions i could just spit out two new rules instead right um but i don't have to i can sort of do anything i want there so when you do that are you grabbing that node off the array and literally concatenating those things to the end of the the whichever string represents the selector are there kind of utilities for that in PostCSS? Uh, there is a pretty good API for dealing with things nicely. So okay. you, can, you can just update the raw string. So like any rule object. So if mm-hmm. I'm looping over the rules um, and I hit this BG blue rule, right? I can mm-hmm. say rule.selector and that's going to return me a string that's just dot BG blue. I can say rule.selectors and that's going to return right. me an array with dot bg blue and that'd be the only one in there but if it had dot bg blue comma you know a few other ones that would give me an array of all those strings without the commas because it's mm-hmm. just treating it as an array now so i can add new stuff to that array huh. i can remove huh. stuff from that array and that just mutates that rule in place right so then when you render that entire abstract syntax tree back to a css string it just sees okay well what selectors do i have okay it concatenates them puts the commas in and all that stuff uh, for you this reminds me so much of um of the virtual dom um i mean it's not exactly the same as jsx it's not exactly the same as uh, um as react but just the idea that we're taking something that has seemed a little bit magical like for example the dom itself um we 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 get to parse it a little bit right because you know the chrome browser tools turns it into a an actual kind of tree for us yeah but in, in our day-to-day coding the only way we think about the integrity of the DOM is by don't break it by forgetting to close something, right? It's not like we get to do something with it until we're starting to deal with JSX in this virtual DOM where we really kind of get to interact with it using a scripting language in a way that gives us power. I feel like this is the same thing. Like often the complaints about CSS have been, you know, you got to get your strings just right. And a preprocessor, yes, you can treat it sort of like a scripting language, but in the end, it still spits out just a whole bunch of strings. Mm-hmm. And for this seems, I, I, it may be just mental model stuff, but I feel like especially with Tailwind, what I love the most is the mental model of 
like the fact that I'm using, uh, you know, and I know I'm dancing around here, but like, for example, to build a page title class, I have it right in front of me. I just say, um, I have a class called page title and I do dot MB hyphen six for the uh, bottom margin dot text dash dark dot text bold. It's the actual syntax and the actual mental model I have of working with Tailwind um, extends the actual change of working with functional CSS. Um, in the same way that this, I feel like post CSS is its mental model is taking me even further in this direction of understanding this kind of mental shift of how we're approaching our CSS and how we're yeah. approaching the the CSS DOM. That I feel like it's all moving that same direction. Like I get why Tailwind, especially, but posted CSS in general, it, it shifts the way we approach our CSS. And again, the, the middleware is a shift. The uh, the virtual what what do you call it? What's the virtual? It's the DOM? abstract syntax tree, right? Yeah, it, it it does sound daunting when you first talk about it, but the ability to approach our CSS in like an actual different direction um is scary and then it's so powerful once you get it yeah it's just taking like a string and turning it into like a javascript object that has Mm -hmm. methods and has properties and you can manipulate it and stuff Mm -hmm. in like a really sane way like the other thing that's so cool is generating code in less is admittedly very painful compared to Mm -hmm. sass and stylus right like we don't have for loops or anything like that in less. Mm-hmm. So everything is done with like recursive mix-ins and uh, keeping track of like counters and incrementing them and guard clauses. If you ever looked at like Bootstrap 3's source code for generating their grid, for example, it's a good example of, wow, this is very difficult to understand and maintain. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool. I think it's interesting, but it's not practical like yeah. a for loop is in SAS, where it's like for every item in this list, spit out a class that looks like this. It's, it's so simple in comparison, yeah. right? Um, with post CSS, you know, I can literally do anything I want with JavaScript to create my stuff. So Tailwind, like, it's just low dash everywhere. So all it is is like collection pipelines to transform my CSS constantly, all the time. Yeah. It's just maps and filters and reduce operations mm-hmm. and stuff. So when someone passes in like their config file that lists like all their uh, background colors, for example, right? All I have to do is take that list of background colors and map those background colors into instances of a post CSS uh, mm-hmm. rule node. Yeah, And that rule has the selector defined and the properties defined. And then I stick those into an array and then I just append those array, that array of nodes into your CSS or stick it mm-hmm. right where you had that that at rule. Basically replace the at rule with this new array of nodes just by doing a you know a simple map operation. So yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. it's pretty cool. I was I was actually gonna go about down both of those roads, one of them being the code generation, the other one being collection. It it really does feel like you are it's it's going from um, what does SAS or less offer me in terms of interacting with this? You know, it, it offers variables, it offers for loops or doesn't. I mean, I remember seeing, like, I've done a lot of digging into Tailwind's uh, define dash whatever, define dash yeah. responsive utilities, define dash. And it's it's a little bit of a slog. And I mean, obviously, it's clean as it's going to get. And so bringing the full power of JavaScript, especially once you get the collection pipeline in Lodash, it seems like there's just so much more you can do because you have an actual, like, scripting language. Um so I, I, I definitely see that. But the other aspect is like that code generation, there's a lot of code generation happening. I mean, there's a, a lot of that. So if you were to be building those things, let's say it's something where you're taking a list of variables, um, you know, maybe all the different uh, colors of, of text. What does it look like to in post CSS to take that list of variables and basically like, 
you know, generate all the text. Let's say it's text-dark, text-dark-soft or whatever. What does it look like to build that out? Is that a single variable or a single selector that you're looping over in your using PostCSS or? So to generate that from like the list in the config, for example, where I just have like a list of strings. Yeah. So let's say we have a list of strings, each of which is like a, an identifier, dark, dark softer, dark softest, yeah. and then which which is paired with the hex code. Um, yep. Somewhere you need to generate the codes that use create CSS classes using the the key that are equal to the color uh, using the value, yeah. right? If that makes sense. What does totally. that look like syntactically? Cool. So let me pull it up here and... Uh, I've created a little bit of an abstraction around it to make it easier for myself, but all you do at um, the PostCSS level is, so PostCSS has a bunch of different sort of like data types, right? So uh, a general CSS rule like dot text dark is going mm -hmm. to have, at the top level, it's going to be called a rule. And this is like a type of object in PostCSS. So the rule has a selector and the rule has a list of declarations. So the, the selector is going to be dot text dark. And then the uh, list of declarations is going to be an array with one item in it that has a property of color and a value mm -hmm. of some hex code, right? And right. you can have multiple of these. Um, but those declarations are also like their own post-CSS like class or object, right? right? So the actual implementation of taking a, like a, say it's a JavaScript object since it's key value pairs with the, the dark label and then the hex code mm -hmm. or dark soft and then the hex code. Uh, going through those and translating those into a rule is I loop over each one of those. And then the first thing I do is I, my general abstraction works with multiple properties, but what you would do with just that example at the most basic level is you'd call postcss.decl, which is like a short form for declaration, right? Mm -hmm. So a declaration, again, is color than a hex code. It's like an actual property in like your right. list of CSS rules. That's what they call a declaration. So postcss.decl is a function that's basically like a constructor for creating one of these declaration objects. Right. And I pass that a JavaScript object that has two keys, prop and value. So prop is what's on the left side in your CSS mm -hmm. and value is what's on the right side. Um, so in this case, I would say prop is the string color and value is a string with the hex code. And mm -hmm. now I have a declaration object, which is like a node in uh, PostCSS. Then I call another function called postcss.rule, which lets me create like the actual selector rule. Right. And that takes an object where in my case, all I'm specifying is the selector, but you can probably specify more. Uh, but you have a selector key and that's basically your class name essentially, Right. It could be more complicated. It could have comma, delimited stuff, whatever. Uh, but right. for most simple use cases, it's just a string with a generated class name. So I just use like JavaScripts, you know, um, template strings, and I just right. say dot, right. and then I make my class name out of whatever the components are involved in creating it, which is usually like a prefix, and then the name that I've chosen for that color. So in this case, it would be a template string with dot text dash, and then the variable for the color name. So now I have this rule object and I have this um, declaration object. So then I take the rule object and I call dot append on it, which lets me add something to its list of declarations and I pass it the declaration that I just created mm -hmm. and that mutates it in place. So now this rule has the selector that I added and it has this um, declaration inside of it. Yeah. And now I have this thing. All I have to do is append that to my CSS. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can do this. So usually the, the way that I'm doing this with my at rules is an at rule in PostCSS, like, you know, at char set or at import or whatever. When you have a mm -hmm. reference to that rule, um, you can do things like 
add CSS before it or add CSS after it uh, because it. it knows like sort of where it exists in the whole tree. Mm-hmm. So I think the actual implementation I have is I take um, the whole document, which is post CSS gives to you in your plugin as just a variable called CSS. It's what you start oh. with. I say CSS, then I say dot insert before, and then I pass it the node that I want to insert um, before and then the node that I want to insert. So in this case, I would say CSS.insert before, pass it the at rule, and Got then it. I would pass it this new rule that I created, and that'll shove that in right before that in the abstract syntax tree. And then what I do is I call rule.remove on the actual right. at rule to delete mm-hmm. the at rule from the syntax tree. So it's basically Perfect. just been swapped. And then I render that whole thing out to a CSS string at the end of the day, which generates the whole new style sheet. That explanation made a switch in my brain that really was helpful because there's a difference between using PostCSS and writing plugins for PostCSS, which of course, that's obvious, right? But using PostCSS, you're basically just following the operations, the expectations of the plugins you're working with. So you have a plugin that says, well, I'm going to automatically look for vendor prefixable things and add vendor prefixes. Cool. I don't have to do anything. There may be other plugins like yours that offer these custom at at things. But the the JavaScript aspect of PostCSS is exposed not to the consumer, but to the plugin author. And yeah, which the, is totally fa- different than like less or SAS, right? Right, Where, exactly. Yeah. But oh, SAS, if I'm using SAS, I need to know how to write SAS. Exactly. I, I can make use of a plugin someone's written in PostCSS without having any clue how to write my own PostCSS mm-hmm. plugin. Like someone who's a Tailwind um, user will never have to write a line of JavaScript other than exactly. like this config file. They just have to like n- know what custom rules basically um, we provide and how to use those in their style sheets. So they just have to worry about things like at responsive and stuffing right. things in there or at tailwind utilities to know where to generate those in their style sheet. Okay. So this is, this is what just helped me out. Cause what I think of, I think of in last lesson SAS is that everyone needs to learn their syntax and you can only do what their syntax offers. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's, you know, that you've got to find a balance in the middle where it's easy enough to understand that, for example, SAS is big among designers, and part of that is because its syntax is easier than Less's, but like we've talked about, it's a little bit less powerful at times. So it's got to be approachable, um, but then it's also got to be powerful, and you've got to figure out, like, well, what, what amount of power and customization am I willing to lose for the sake of approachability or, or vice versa? So this one, you act, you have two completely different, I don't not APIs, but whatever, like two different ways of approaching it where um, the end consumer needs learn only what is necessary for the plugin author's kind of desires to be a doable. And the, the plugin author is the one who's defining that syntax. But when you kept saying it's got to be valid CSS, what I was imagining is somehow you have to write CSS in your plugin that defines how to do text-dark versus text-dark-softer. Mm. And it's like, no, and that's what I had to switch. The, once you the CSS definition is at um, tailwind-plugins, the moment you get in your plugin, you have full reign of JavaScript. So yeah. you're not using CSS rules and the, the restrictions of CSS rules and CSS variables to build Tailwind's utilities. Yeah. You're using JavaScript, doing whatever the heck you want. Exactly. And it only goes back into CSS world once you pass it back to post-CSS. That, I, di- I didn't realize that. And now I realize plugin authors, post-CSS plugin authors can do whatever you can do in JavaScript. Post-CSS consumers only need to know whatever the plugin authors made necessary to use their plugins. And there's a complete gap, a valuable gap, a, a, t- a complete difference in what they need to learn in order to use it. That's, yeah. that's huge for me. 
Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really, uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language. Because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio i think uh, the interesting thing like again for me was postgres is always pitched as a post processor mm-hmm. and Things like auto prefixer make total sense in that case. You're post-processing some CSS, whatever. But I really, what I want is like pre-processor-ish features. You know what I mean? Uh Um, So post-CSS is a post-processor that can be basically abused as a pre-processor if you you make up custom at rules and stuff. Like another example is it doesn't have to just be at rules. Um, A lot of post-CSS plugins make use of custom properties so there's a really popular one called lost grid which is like a grid framework for post css mm-hmm. and what they do is you have like uh, your regular css and if you want like a certain selector to act as a grid column right mm-hmm. you would have a property in there just like background color or border radius or whatever called lost dash grid colon and then on the right hand side of that you would do something like one slash three to say one third so this is a lost grid column of one third mm-hmm. um so it looks like valid CSS, even though that's not a real CSS property, right? And then what lost grid does is it loops over your whole abstract syntax tree, it finds everywhere you try to use that lost grid property, and it converts that to a real grid. So it's going to say float left with right. this, blah, 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 spit out even some pseudo things for before and after, add a clear fix, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So that's like another way that you can like do custom things. Uh, that's helpful. So when you say it's got to be valid CSS, there's a caveat you can have custom at rules and you can have custom selectors or property selectors that don't or no custom property keys that don't actually yeah. exist. So it has, okay. a, it has to look like valid CSS right. yeah, more yeah, yeah, than yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can contain stuff that the browser can't parse. That is very cool. So and, and it's interesting because you say you're using it like a preprocessor, but you're not even just I feel like you're using it as a preprocessor and as a code generator, which the preprocessors are not really meant to do like we do sometimes like by using the for loops and by using those kind of like with less using the define, you know, where you're manually looping over things recursively. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're not really intended to generate code as much as they are intended to like provide really simple 
um, logic. Um, and yeah. occasionally you do end up generating code using your loops a little bit, but it doesn't feel like a generator, right? Like I've, I've used code generators and it, it, it feels like just, just like you're saying, you're kind of using a pre, a post-processor, like a preprocessor when yeah. you're generating code using a preprocessor, it feels like you're cheating a little bit, but with this, it's like whatever you can do in JavaScript, it's, it's meant for that post-processing, pre-processing, code generation, whatever else, it's all fair game. Yeah. It's hmm. really cool. Yeah, I've always thought like generating code in less and SAS is sort of um, a little bit of an anti-pattern in your own code yeah. because like you shouldn't really need to generate a grid for a certain site that you're working on. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you should know what that grid is. And a lot of time it ends up being a lot more maintainable and simple to just write that grid um, yep. or add a class instead of generating a new class or whatever. But for something like this where we're almost trying to create like almost like a framework engine. You know what I mean? It like lets you sort of create a framework out of like your needs. Um, Being sort of crippled by the limitations of some of these preprocessors makes it super, super hard. But if I can just do it from JavaScript, you know, I can do whatever I want. So it's really cool. The other cool benefit that I'm looking to explore soon is um, because the definition of like your, your framework, I guess, like for whatever, site you're building is a json file the level of interoperability there between other tools is so incredibly high versus like yeah. a list of sas variables or something so it's going to be really easy for us to let you generate documentation for a web app that you're building like spit out a style guide or spit out mm-hmm. your design system from huh. like this json file so if you're working on um, a project that's tailwind driven and it's a project with a decent sized team, um, you can generate documentation for your front end developers from this config file. And everyone can go there and see, okay, well, these are the margin classes. These are the background classes. These are my custom components or stuff like that. Uh, Because it's just JSON. Anything can read JSON, like Jigsaw, like the static site generator that we both use for a lot of stuff. Super easy to just load in a JSON file and make all those variables available and generate pages from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love the idea that you're the the framework generation makes a ton of sense because like for example, I've been I've, you know, our first interview 3 years ago was where I was saying, you know what, Adam, I I've been pushing back on functional uh, utility classes for ages. You know, I'm I'm big on BEM and SMACs and you know, OOP, CSS and all this kind of stuff. Um but for a while there, I was just saying, you know what, I w- I want to try them. You know, I'm open to trying them and you kind of kind of talk me into it. But then I was like, well, but which convention do I use, right? Like what string syntax do I use for a margin top, margin bottom? I don't want to have to make these decisions, right? I want somebody else to make mm-hmm. these decisions. So people have made those decisions, but a lot of those frameworks then lock you into, well, if you make the decision for naming, you also have to make the decision for how big your you know, margin bottom two is. Is it 1.875Ms? Is it 0.75Ms? What is it going to be? And so uh, what I love about using Tailwind to redo my blog this last couple of weeks has, has been that it is, it's making those decisions for me. It's setting up conventions for me, but it's also giving me all the ability to do them in the way that makes sense for me. And, and when my designer passed something in where it wasn't 1.75Ms or whatever else it ended up being, I just changed a variable or I changed one of those arrays that we were talking about, and then it's rebuilt for me. So first of all, just using it, it's valuable in that way. But like you said, with with PostCSS, I actually could get the documentation. I'm gonna, It's going to be basically like Tailwind for Matt's website. And yeah. it's going to have its own, it's going to be its own framework. It's going to have its own documentation, its own set of lists of which classes are available to you and what color or what margin size they have. And it really kind of completes it the whole way. I, I love that. That is really yeah. cool. 
Yep. So it should be pretty fun. Uh, anyways, is there any other uh, final uh, questions or topics or anything that you wanted to touch on? Or uh, do you want to start wrapping up? I'm good, man. This was fantastic. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on and uh, letting me kind of share my excitement about this uh, stuff with you and hopefully helping out uh, anyone out there who, you know, has heard of PostCSS but hasn't really known, like, what can I do with it or what are the limitations. Uh, hopefully this kind of gives you a, a good idea of what's possible and, and some of sort of, you know, the insider tricks for how to do it because I couldn't find any documentation or anything saying, like, if you want to do something custom, like, Here's mm-hmm. like a way that you can do it by leveraging this existing CSS syntax to do whatever. It's very much left as like a blank canvas. You figure it out and do what you want. But as I've been exploring some of these other plugins and talking to other people who know how to use it, you start to realize there's a lot of very common ways to do things that you sort of have to be in the club to sort of know about. You know what I mean? Right. So trying to expose some of those things um, to people who are newer to it and giving them a, an idea of what you can do, I think has been fun. So. Cool, man. Well, thanks again uh, for uh, for coming on here. It's been yeah, an absolute for pleasure me. to chat. Me as well, man. If anybody's interested in uh, show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 71. Thanks to Coldship and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you can uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes, that's always appreciated. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>